Good morning, gang. That was my first sip of coffee for today, and it was so good. So, so good, and so necessary for today. It's a rainy day here in New Jersey. It's uh, gray, and it's the perfect day to stay in bed and do no things. Uh, good morning, Bonnie. But I am up and Adam, as you are uh, today to continue our series in Galatians, even though I wouldn't mind being back under the covers doing no things right now because it's that kind of day. So I'm just going to keep on sipping this coffee throughout to give me the necessary energy to blaze through Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 26. How about that? So with that, let's go ahead and read it, and then we'll dig into what it's all about. So... It says, but, it, but I say, this is Paul speaking, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit and, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, uh, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Good morning, Autry. And good morning, Patty. I think somebody else said good morning, but hi all. Continuing, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. End of reading. Good morning, Tanya. Uh, so, I remember some years ago, uh, my best friend's son uh, was, oh, I guess he was maybe four or five years old. It was when Toy Story first came out. He was absolutely fascinated with Toy Story. Absolutely enamored, especially with Buzz Lightyear, as uh, so many little kids are. My little guy is enamored with Buzz Lightyear right now, as Toy Story is coming out again this week, Toy Story 4. Uh, but I remember my, my buddy's friend, he told me they were uh, in a Barnes & Noble and they came across this big Buzz Lightyear display with a big Buzz Lightyear standee and all these Buzz Lightyear toys and books and everything. And, um, and he asked his daddy, can I get a Buzz Lightyear doll or Buzz Lightyear toy? And daddy said, nope, not today. And then daddy kind of walked away a little bit. And in the, just as he was walking away, he heard his son staring at Buzz Lightyear saying this, no, no, no. Just telling himself no, no, no. Uh, and I'd like to tell you that just doing that was enough to prevent him from being overwhelmed by his desire by, uh, for the Buzz Lightyear doll. But it was not because when it was time to leave and he did not have toy in hand, it ended up with him kicking and screaming, being dragged out by daddy from Barnes & Noble. Now, I tell that story because I think it illustrates really well for us the battle that the Apostle Paul describes in our text today between the flesh and the spirit. 
The flesh and the spirit are always battling one another. This is what Paul talks about in Romans chapter 7, also known in theological terms as simul justus et peccator. We are at one and the same time in the same person, two natures, the flesh and the spirit fighting it out. The old Adam and the new Adam fighting it out. As Paul says again, in verse 17 here, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. And what does Paul say to do in order to win the battle? Well, he says we need to walk by the spirit, and we will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So then the question is, what does it look like to walk by the spirit? Well, let's go over a few things from our text that Paul mentions. First of all, it means that you are not primarily motivated by guilt, but primarily motivated by praise. Uh, here's what he says in verse 18. If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. Let me flesh that out. If the Spirit of God is leading you, then the law is no longer your master, your slave master. And the law, if it's no longer your slave master, then your motivation is not one of guilt or shame, but of love for God and neighbor because of what God has done for you. As has been stated multiple times throughout this letter, the law with its threats and promises based on conditionality for proper behavior can produce what appears to be a good moral lifestyle on the outside. This is true. After all, Pharisees who were scrupulous about following the letter of the law were exceptionally good on the outside. I mean, if you'd like an example today, you can look at any very strict religious sect, which produces probably pretty darn good neighbors. But to walk by the Spirit goes deeper than mere outward signs. It says that the truly good life flows from a changed heart, from faith alone. As Paul says, whatever is not done in faith is sin. He says that to the Corinthians. And so in that changed heart, that faith comes by the power of the Holy Spirit. So it's possible uh, for two people to be doing the exact same thing outwardly, but for one of the works to be seen as damnable and one of the works to be seen as a good work, as a truly godly work. As an example, let's say two boys each walk a, an elderly woman across the street. Now, uh, they're, outwardly, it looks like the same exact action, but their motivations for doing it might be entirely different. One boy may walk the old lady across the street because he wants to be seen by others as a good boy and wants the pats on the back for being such a good boy. He wants to impress others. So ultimately, what he's doing it for is himself and his own sense of pride. On the other hand, just as a hypothetical, let's say the other boy instinctively just thinks this lady needs help and I'm going to help her because that's what I should do. If he thinks about the motivation for his work at all, he's just thinking about the good of his neighbor and the fact that his Lord has called him to do this. Both outwardly same works, but only one would be seen as a good work, as a work done in faith. And that's what Paul says separates a truly good work from a bad work. So to walk by the Spirit is to be motivated not by a have to, but by a get to. To walk by the Spirit is not, oh no, what if, if I don't do this, what is God going to do? But what do I get to do for the good of my neighbor and for the good of others around me? 
Uh, secondly, Paul makes it very clear, walking by the Spirit means that you are walking in repentance. You are walking in repentance. He says it this way, verse 19, Now works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, lists all sorts of wonderfully terrible things uh, in this list, and then says, I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, let's take that apart a little bit. Uh, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. What is this here? Well, of course, what we have here is, you know, obvious sexual activity uh, outside of marriage. Uh, but Paul's list goes further. It's also impurity of any kind. Uh, it's not just external. It's, it's internal. As Jesus says, if you lust after someone, it's the same as committing adultery in the eyes of God. So Paul would include in these uh, words things like, you know, viewing pornography or uh, you know, reading trashy things that would draw you away from your spouse, you know, that kind of uh, thing. Uh, it is sensuality, which means basically unbridled lust in this context here. It's shamelessness, it's deviancy, it's perversion of the most extreme kind. These are all works, Paul says, of the natural fallen dead and sin person. But he's not done. It's no accident that right after this, Paul mentions idolatry and sorcery. Now, the word for sorcery there is uh, the word pharmakia, from which we get the word uh, pharmacy or pharmaceutical. Uh, oftentimes, uh, you know, sorcery in that time, of course, included using uh, substances and using, you know, uh, things like drugs in order to heighten the senses. And that was even seen as an act of, of worship. Um, and so it's not surprising that he mentions that. Uh, as a matter of fact, you, you'll find indeed that many today reject Christianity not based on the truth or lack of truth of the faith, but rather one may reject it because it will limit what they see as their ability to be free and to explore these different areas of life, whether it be with drugs or with sex. Uh, Aldous Huxley admitted as much. He, he said, quote, for myself, as no doubt for most of the contemporary, most of my contemporaries, the philosophy of meaninglessness was essentially an instrument of liberation. The liberation we desired was liberation from a certain system of morality. We objected to the morality because it interfered with our sexual freedom. And so uh, Aldous Huxley makes it clear that this is one of the chief reasons, in his mind anyway, that he rejected this walking by the Spirit that Paul mentions here. Now, he goes on and on, and, you know, there's a sense when you hear this, you say, well, okay, I'm not doing that. Uh, I'm not, you know, as Paul mentions here, I'm not involving myself in orgies. I'm not this sexually deviant person, so I'm probably doing pretty good so far in this list. I'm looking like I'm doing all right. Well, not so fast. Paul continues, the works of the flesh are enmity. Another way of saying hating another person, strife, jealousy, uh, fits of anger, temper tantrums. You ever tried to put together something from Ikea and not had one of those? Uh, rivalries, the word there is the same word as political partisan, by the way, in Greek. Dissensions, divisions, cliquishness, uh, envy, not being content with what the Lord has given you, but feeling like the victim because you don't have all the goodies that your neighbor does. 
drunkenness. Not drinking, but being drunk, and a drunkard is always condemned in the scripture. And finally, the word carousing. The word there basically means partying, uh, loud revelry, that sort of thing. Now, this list isn't even, isn't even exhaustive, but Paul is giving us the general idea of what a worldly, sort of fleshly person uh, lives like. And he says, you know, it's all impulsive. It's all sensual. Uh, it is all um, uh, selfish. It's all for the self. And yet, in the final analysis, the works of the flesh are just really perversions of good gifts from God. This is the way the devil works. He just perverts something that God created good. Sex used in the proper context is a wonderful gift. Worship is a wonderful gift. Relationships are a wonderful gift. But the flesh messes all of that up. Alcohol and parties can be a wonderful gift. But the flesh can take these things and use it against us. So... Paul says, what do we make of this statement? Those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Well, if we take that to mean that anybody who has been jealous of another person thereby shows that they're not really a Christian, because that's one of the things that Paul mentions here, or anybody who's ever been uh, um, envious of another person, anybody who's drank too much, shows that they were never really a Christian, as some may interpret this verse, well, you're going to have a really tough time with the rest of Scripture. When we come across a passage like this, where it appears to be teaching that our works or lack of works is what shows that we're in the kingdom of God, we have to actually look at the rest of the context. And what this tells us is Paul is not saying those who have struggled with such things won't inherit the kingdom of God. But really what he's getting at is those who refuse to repent of such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And remember, repentance is a daily battle. So it is possible to struggle with all of these things all of the time and to daily repent of these things. That is acknowledging that they are wrong, that they shouldn't be done, and yet having to go back the next day and do the same thing again and again and again. So Paul is not saying that those who have ever done such things show that they cannot possibly be Christians, or else none of you watching and me, myself, and I could not call ourselves Christians. No one would make the cut here. But rather, Paul is saying those who would live this way without repenting of it, justifying themselves, justifying their actions that God clearly calls sin, would be in violation of his will, and that cannot be done. So that is really what's going on here. It's not that you lose your status in the kingdom of God. Paul has labored throughout the whole entire letter to say so far that that's not going to happen. But what he is saying is that those who refuse to walk in repentance, to submit to what the Spirit says is right and true uh, about these actions, show themselves to be people that are not walking in step with the Spirit. So let's continue. To walk by the Spirit produces fruit of the Spirit. That's the third thing that Paul mentions here, verses 22 and 23. So the works of the flesh are obvious and evident. The works of the, of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now, uh, 
let's just i'm not going to go over all of it just for the sake of time here but i want to want to uh emphasize one very important thing here this is the the fruit of owned by possessed by produced by the spirit and what is the overarching umbrella word to describe the fruit of the spirit in your life love where does that love get manifested for the sake of your neighbor who's your neighbor all the persons your kids your spouse your friends your co-workers your enemies the jerk who cut you off on the freeway whatever all of them are your neighbors and what the spirit is producing in you and working through you is love for them that's what the spirit's goal is now the the way i think we hear the fruit of the spirit a lot of the time is we look at the list of things here which are all good things and we think okay i'm going to do my best to produce those again it is the produce of the spirit so this does not look like you pulling up your bootstraps to produce these things these qualities rather it looks like you saying holy spirit help holy spirit produce holy spirit make me this person you must increase and i must decrease you must live and i must die because i don't produce those things naturally but you do so please do that in me <laughs> that's what it looks like it looks like a humble almost begging for him to do that because you know you can't produce it and then finally most importantly most 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 important of all that paul says here how do you walk in the spirit how do we do this verse 24 is the most significant word and that is remember who you are in christ look again at verse 24. just mentions this right in the right in the heart of all this and those who belong to christ jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires now what's interesting about what paul says here is that it is both a past action that has already been done to us but at the same time an action that continues to happen on a regular basis now let me point out two real quick things here first when and where does the bible say this crucifixion of us happened go back to galatians chapter 3 verse 27 what does it say there for as many of you as were baptized into christ have put on christ romans 6 says verse 3 do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into christ jesus were baptized into his what into his death ergo his crucifixion we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the father we too might walk in newness of life when you struggle with sin when you are not apparently walking in the spirit do not look within do not try and figure it out if you're really proving your faith well enough church remember your baptism remember your baptism there you objectively were killed to sin and there christ has told you it no longer has mastery over you it happened there here's how luther put it 
in his writing on the Word and the sacraments. It's one of the great uh, pieces of his writing, if you want to dig deeper into what he has to say. He writes this, he says, Thus you see how rich a Christian is. That is, one who has been baptized, even if he would, he could not lose his salvation, however much he sinned, unless he refused to believe. For no sin can condemn him, save unbelief alone. All other sins, so long as the faith in God's promise made in baptism returns or remains, are immediately blotted out through that same faith, or rather through the truth of God, because he cannot deny himself if you confess him and faithfully cling to him in his promise. So Luther says, remember your baptism. Number two, just as you ought to look to your baptism, your conversion is the place where you were crucified with Christ. You should continue to act out that conversion, that baptism every day of your life. Luther would say it this way, every time you wash your face, remember your baptism. We might say it in our day, every time you get in the shower, remember your baptism. As Jesus said in Luke 9, 23, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So as you get in the shower in the morning or get in the bath or whatever you do to wash yourself, you should remind yourself whose you are. We are daily through repentance and faith reenacting that crucifixion we received in our baptism. Luther spoke about it again this way. Baptism signifies that the old Adam in us should, by daily contrition and repentance, be drowned and die with all sins and evil lusts. And again, a new man daily come forth and arise who shall live before God in righteousness and purity forever. Those are words from his small catechism. And then, my friends, as you do that, as you remember whose you are, whose name you are baptized into, where you were crucified with Christ. As you anchor your identity there, you will walk by the Spirit, display the fruits of the Spirit, and you will thereby bless your neighbors. All right, gang, that's it for Galatians chapter 5. That is the battle between the flesh and the Spirit that goes on every day within each one of us. That is the picture of the symbol. I hope that uh, you are remembering your baptism today and every day, and that you are blessed through the doing of that. God bless. We'll see you next Tuesday.